Good afternoon, everyone. It's lunchtime here in the Pacific Ocean areas from the south to the north. We have Blaine Bartlett, BlaineBartlett.com, my mentor, friend, and uh, just an extraordinarily good guy. Welcome, Blaine. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great today. Great today. No spaceship today. This is good. No spaceship. You don't have to run outside at 5 a.m. to uh, <laughs> cater to the East Coast. We're here on the West Coast taking it easy today and we are blessed to have uh, our overdressed friend here, CEO and founder of Her Health EQ, <laughs> HerHealthEQ.org. Uh, Marissa Bayer, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Amazing. Thank you Doing for great. joining us. I'm excited about this little space discussion, though, because uh, I'm, a, I'm a space nerd, so are you? Hey, super hey, interesting. That's go. why I got into all of this ridiculousness. So, yeah. Are you an alien file as well? Um, no, but I'm for sure I, I, they definitely exist. Okay, good. Yeah, my wife there is absolutely, it's half of our conversations <laughs> discussing cool stuff like that. But, you know, I really wanted to have you here because you're aligned so well with Blaine and I. We wrote a book, I think, that has great alignment with what you're doing. And there's so many different ways to be entrepreneurial. Um, I define you as a multipreneur as I've read more and more about you. And I want to start with a really kind of simple question, you know, with Her Health EQ, why are you, with all the capabilities you have, doing what you're doing today, especially with Her Health EQ? Well, because women need access to healthcare around the world, you know, period, end of sentence. So mm -hmm. it's that I'm doing it because of that. And from my perspective, um, I was working at a corporation or multiple corporations, and I saw the need. I also figured out the solution where very many people didn't. And so at Her Healthy Q, we're the only ones focused on women in developing countries and emerging markets, getting them the equipment they need. It's not to say we're the only ones doing what we're doing. We're the only ones specifically focused on women. And um, we're very directed. And so from my perspective, like literally why... Why not help people who who need help? And I found I found excess. I figured out a solution. Why not do it? I love it. That's great. So, yeah, underserved women around the world globally. Do you have a you know, kind of I'm going to call it a sweet spot in terms of what you're focusing on and where you're focusing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we focus only on non-communicable diseases. Um, that affect women. So cancers affecting women, diabetes, heart disease, and maternal health. Those are like the top four when you kind of like peel back after communicable diseases such as um, malaria and HIV and all of these other things that really medical equipment can, can detect, prevent, and treat. And so it, it's, it's very simple from the sole fact that there's excess in our very obsessive and excessive um, cultures here in the US and in Europe. And every few years, you know, these hospitals kind of upgrade to new ones or there's a brand, you know, change and we upgrade colors. So why not repurpose the equipment? It's fully usable. We're not talking yeah. about like, we don't do anything in pharmaceuticals. We don't do anything in supplies, but like an ultrasound machine is useful for 25 years, not mm -hmm. three. And who cares except most of the companies and, you know, there are, there are, there are, you know, there are suppliers, so I don't discount yeah. them, but you know, nobody in a developing country necessarily cares if your logo goes from green to blue. It still works the same. Mm -hmm. and, and Marissa, I love the fact that you, you know, saw a need, saw a solution to that need and fulfilled it. And I know Blaine and I, 
one of them we'd go to africa for the unstoppable foundation and one of the most emotional uh, we do round tables at the end of the day and i have my whole family there and actually one of the videographers that was joining us he did a share and he told about how his wife had preeclampsia and it was undetected and he lost his wife and i believe he lost his child as well wow. and yeah, it was did. probably it was probably one of the most emotional things and I come from a background more like yours, where I've been a senior executive at far too young of an age when I didn't know what I was doing. And even worse than not knowing what I was doing, I didn't admit I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's the one. Yeah, that and now with wisdom, we admit it too much. <laughs> right? I come from Blaine's mentorship. Um, but there's a variety of times in my career, young and old, as a senior executive where I have power, that I see things that are just wrong. Right. And I will tell you that later on in my life, I was brave enough to state what I believe was wrong, whether or not they did anything or I could do anything about it. I at least presented the, the issue. I did. I talked about the elephant in the corner. And this seems like a big, big elephant in the corner when you're in the med tech space and working with the biggest diagnostic companies. And I would love for you to share to give more people courage on how to at least speak up and address the elephant in the corner. Uh, when you see something like this, how did, you know, obviously you see this need, you see these things being put into landfills at an exceptional rate. How did you broach the subject or what did you do to start raising awareness of this, you know, big elephant in the corner? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always been that elephant, uh, not, not for Detector. Uh, you know, you're going the wrong way with, yeah, 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 yeah. so definitely not, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm a woman engineer, so I was always looking for solutions, always looking to do something different. And so the way I started all of this was working, it was doing it at a company. I was still in corporate working, you know, with new, new technology, working in a developing country. And I said, you know, we're throwing these things out. There's there's women down the street who are dying of breast cancer. We just launched a three new 3D mammography system. We had older ones coming back. Like they were lined up against the wall. And so I said to our corporate team, like, how about we give back to the country in which we're working in? And mm -hmm. so I started it from there. And then it was only many years later, once I left corporate, where I thought of like I, I kept thinking about it. And I was like, there's there's more to do. There's more. There's more equipment, there's more healthcare, there's more need um, besides this one or two things that that we were working with in the country. And so that's why I developed her healthy cue. And and quite honestly, like my intent is that that we are put out of a job eventually, and that these corporations do that, do this themselves. And a lot of them have started these programs, which mm -hmm. is amazing. So whether they've just seen it in the market or they've seen us or they've seen others, you know, they understand it's a tax write-off for them. It is good press. Yeah. It is goodwill on their tax. You know, it is really employee engagement that makes people proud to be where the, where they're working and so they want to do more they want to come up with new innovations so maybe it can be deployed somewhere else for people who need it they also see that it's a market opportunity a lot of times when you start with a donation um eventually a lot of you yeah. know as as countries continue to develop they're going to need new products and so they're going to go to the ones where they have name brand recognition and they're going to buy their products. And so, you know, we're launching a, a big new program, 100 colposcopes for the detection of cervical cancer. And it's with a smaller company who's not the market leader. They're in, their technology is amazing, 
but they want to get into 10 to 15 new countries. They realize they're going to do that through an initial donation with us and working with us. And then in the future, who knows what that leads to? There's obviously no guarantees, but like, you know, I, I would think, you know, for, for all of your listeners, like you have to start where you see the problem and you have to start where you are. Like I started doing this in corporate. I developed the program while I was in corporate and then thought to myself, oh, I should do something about this. Like it was never in my wildest dreams that I would be a multipreneur. I never wanted to start an NGO either. Like these were not like aspirational dreams of, you know, as a child. So I think like do what you can where you are, like raise your voice to say something, you know, social impact, social consciousness is actually at the forefront now. And like, it's the best Mm -hmm. time to be doing something like this because companies, they want to engage you. They want to keep you. They want to get their name out there in a good way when there's so much bad press around. You know, I'm I'm struck by the name of of your of your organization. You mean the one, I butchered, the one I butchered? The <laughs> one that you butchered. That one. Yeah, that's why I want to come back to it. No, uh, but the EQ tag on the end. Most people think of that. You know, when they see EQ as emotional intelligence, uh, not intellectual intelligence. So there's two actually two questions here. Number one, uh, just you know, yeah, just a real quick eight bar on why the EQ piece to it. And then I'm going to come back in if I could, because I want to talk a little bit about a distinction that Adam Smith makes that I think is going to be useful depending on what your answer is. (laughs) Not to set you up here. I know. (laughs) I'm like, now it's nervous because I already have the answer. So um, EQ, it it stands for Equipment for Equity. So both of them have the EQ and obviously Mm -hmm. also others are, you know, familiar with the EQ with emotional intelligence. Yeah. And so I like the healthy ahead. part too, because I didn't, I called it her health EQ is her healthy EQ. <laughs> her healthy EQ. Yeah. And I'm a marketing but, guy. I should have picked up on that. That's good. <laughs> well, the, the, and I love, I love your answer on that. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the idea that Adam Smith came up when he wrote the wealth of nations was, and this is how the invisible hand of commerce came to be defined was it was around enlightened self-interest, not rational self-interest, which is where you know, capitalism is you know, organized today is around rational self-interest, what's in it for me. So what essentially you're doing is, is it's you know, as a social responsibility vehicle, I mean, there, there's this piece that you're doing here. This is enlightened self-interest in the small company that you were just talking about. How do you get into these different foreign markets? these different uh, international markets. Well, there's an enlightened self-interest that comes from being willing to be a social enterprise on the front end as, you know, and, and then there's a commercial viability on the backside. So I, 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 there's not a question embedded in that piece right now. I'm just, you know, just marking it up because I think it's worth noting for entrepreneurs that are looking for, okay, how do I get started? How do I you know, leverage? How do I accelerate what I'm doing? Well, you know, the answer has to do in large part with social, you know, social enterprise, with being able to look at where's the marketplace, how can I best access that market in a way that is organized around enlightened self-interest, not rational self-interest. And David talks a lot about this in terms of the giving and the gratitude dynamic. You know, there's a reciprocity that comes in there. So all that by way of saying congratulations. I mean, I, I really am impressed with what you're doing with that and how you're setting this up. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. 
Thank you. And and listen, like our intent is is you know as I said, like we hope these health conditions you know are solved. We hope capitalism and these large or you know and and any medical device technology you know just solves them or gets the equipment to where we need or but like in reality that's not going to happen unfortunately in our lifetime. But like that's that's the hope. We hope that there's enough capital in governments and private markets to buy equipment. We, we hope that this is available and we just, we're just, we're kind of the catalyst. That's kind of what we're doing. We're starting and maybe this is the new way of doing business and, and, you know, mm -hmm. social business is, is where everything's going. I, I mean, we have a revenue generation part of our business as well. Like th this is, we know we need to be sustainable. All companies need to be sustainable, but we're doing it, you know, from heart first and from impact first um, and everything else is secondary because there's people who need it. There's people who need access. And that's kind of what we do. We just ensure that there's access. You know, we're not here to save the world. Like I'm not like it's not going to be done one person at a time, one company at a time, nor should it, honestly. Um, but we're just one, you know, one, I hope, great cog in this machine. Beautiful. And you certainly are. And I love the mindset of allowing what is just truly a traditional profession or op occupation to evolve as a leader, as an intelligent follower, and you know, see a need and see excess and fit the excess into the need. And I think that simple equation can be utilized by a lot of executives uh, to use you as an intelligent follower, but also as a leader uh, of what we can do when we have an open mind and an open heart and open hands. And what I love about it is I and wrote the book with Blaine in full faith, uh, not to utilize it as a trade, um, but simply knowing and having faith that, you know, this is protecting and promoting myself. Uh, there isn't a, a, you know, some sort of zero sum game that I'm playing when I give or I think about helping others. It's a value add game. And the more value we add, the more value that comes. We just have to take time out of the equation. Uh, Marissa, thank you so, so much. Congratulations on both the personal and professional and philanthropic success as a multipreneur in all areas. We certainly appreciate everything for the lives you certainly are changing uh, by also helping our earth, not putting big machines into it as well. We didn't even talk about that. Marissa Fair, thank CEO you. and founder of Her Healthy Q, and I said it right this time, Her Healthy Q dot org check it out if you can help us in any way with her profit or nonprofit side please reach out we'll have you back on again congratulations amazing thank you you're Thanks. amazing thank Bye. you have fun all right loved it our best, loved under, it. Our best underdressed over get dressed uh, guest ever <laughs> healthy, yes healthy q mateo is in the house i see him here good afternoon mateo how are you good and you thank you for having me Oh, that's good to have you here. Oh, well, I had to have you here. First, we start with uh, compassionate capitalism. Now we're moving to another one of my favorite topics that has changed my life. Uh, Matt Teo is the co-founder and CEO of Eight Sleep. And uh, Eight Sleep is the first sleep fitness company, and which I find you know, amazing because I have had a sleep coach for 16 years, helping me with my travels, light, nutrition, temperature, uh, but changing the paradigm in my life to recovery, but access as well. What is sleep fitness? 
Uh, sleep fitness is a is a new status where you really take care of your sleep, like if the same way you do with your workout, right? So you need to put the time, you need to put the effort, and uh, if you put the right amount of hours, you will wake up fully energized and a healthier person. So recovery so, and access. Go ahead, Lane. Yeah, recovery and access. So yeah, Eight Sleep was named. I mean, Fast Company actually named you as one of the you know, most innovative companies. Yeah. You know in the world, literally, <laughs> in, in, yeah, what, about four years ago, I guess it was. Um, and time recognized you as one of the best inventions, or you know, your product is one of the best inventions uh, in, in 2018 as well. So specifically, and, and this is kind of getting real granular here, what is Eight Sleep? So we invented a technology that improves your sleep performance. So we change your body temperature during the night to maximize your sleep. And so it can heat or cool your body uh, based on what you need, based on real-time biometrics. And you will fall asleep faster. You will get 30% uh, better sleep. You will get 10% more deep sleep and may other major benefits in terms of sleep quality and recovery. And how does it know in the biometrics of it certain temperatures are they the same for everyone or does it you know is it determined on who you are what age you are what region of the world you live in how do we know what the ideal temperature is uh, for different individuals and how does the biometrics and thermal regulation work yeah so temperature is different for everyone it's based on your gender your age your metabolism even what you had for dinner if you had alcohol or not for example then the other important thing is temperature needs to change during the night. Your body temperature is already changing during the night. We're not reinventing the wheel. We just make this transition faster and more efficient. Um, and so the temperature that you need when you fall asleep is different from the temperature you will need one hour later, or the temperature that you need in deep sleep is different from the temperature you need in REM. Um, our product comes in two form factor. One is a cover that you can install onto any bed. The other is the whole mattress. Both of them, they come with sensors embedded. We measure your heart rate, your respiration, and your sleep stages. And based on that, temperature can be adjusted accordingly. Now, you know, a blanket, let's just take the blanket product. Uh, my wife is next to me. Uh, she sleeps, you know, she wants cool. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to be this, you know, this, this furnace. <laughs> the, does your blanket- turn you're so hot. I'd say that's me. Sizzle. Um, this is just a naive question here, and I'm curious because I very much like to you know, explore this. Yeah, one blanket fits all, or do we? You know, she and I need separate blankets. No, so each side of the bed will have a different temperature and different sensor. Okay. So you uh -huh. can sleep hot or cold, and we'll have your biometrics. And for your partner, they can sleep hot or cold, and we'll have, they have they will have their own biometrics. I love this. This is going to, this is going to change my whole life. <laughs> now, you know, obviously, uh, Matteo, you've had a extremely competitive mindset. Uh, you were a great athlete at a young age, a competitor, ski racer in Italy, uh, played tennis, race cars. Um, and then when you went from all of the top tiers of the podiums to the top tier in clean tech um, and, you know, in the international legal world, how did you end up from being in those competitive situations? Probably in both uh, areas, sleep is ignored uh, 
knowing athletes and working with them for so many years and then in the legal world and in clean tech competitive entrepreneurial world sleep's even less of a concern how did you then move you know did all this before you're 30 into understanding how important the restorative nature of sleep and the fitness of sleep and launching you know this incredible com company from that background yeah a um, couple of different reasons. First, I mean, I, I used to be an athlete, so I have always you know, paid a lot of attention to recovery and rest and sleep. Um, and so once uh, when I became an entrepreneur, I started looking into you know, why do I have to sleep eight hours? And more than anything, why Elon Musk is taking me to Mars, but I still spend a third of my life on a piece of dumb phone. Why there is no technology in a third of my life, right? And so I started looking at a lot of clinical studies and I understood that technology can improve your sleep performance and you could sleep less. And the bed is also the perfect form factor to substantially track your body and your health every single day. Um, and so I came up with the idea. I had a co-founder who is the, the technical genius. So he can build a rocket in the garage in one night. And so together uh, we, we, we built the first prototype and that is how everything started. Here, we got, we got dogs barking in the background. I was on mute. Um, you've used <laughs> That's the what word hours is about. That is barking dogs. <laughs> you've used the word performance, sleep performance, three times, and I yeah, I'm noticing this because most people don't think of sleeping as a as a performance activity. That there is actually something around that. And yeah, I was on a panel to, you know, earlier this morning um, on the, the neurology of leadership. And one of the pieces that we were looking at had to do with the recovery, you know, cycle recovery, you know, and sleep being an integral part of that. Most business leaders that I work with, they understand cognitively the importance of getting a good night's sleep, but they don't, almost none of them think of sleep as a performance mechanism, you know, as my sleep performance. What are you talking about? My sleep performance. How did I perform in, in sleep? Yeah. That that language is interesting, and it interrupts the pattern of, of people, yeah. you know, how people think about it. So, sleep performance. Can you? What are some of the ways that you know, sleep performance actually um, is measured. demonstrated, measured? Yeah, metrics. What would be the metrics that we would look for there? Yeah. So first of all, sleep performance goes back to the concept of sleep fitness, right? Again, mm -hmm. you cannot give sleep for granted. It's an activity. You need to put. You need to put the effort. You need to be diligent. In the same way, you go to the gym every day to be healthy. You need to put the time and sleep seven to nine hours to wake up fully energized and healthy. Um, so sleep performance means again. Number one thing is about being diligent, right? So going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time because you have a biological clock. Making sure that you have enough time asleep right? You need seven to nine hours. There's plenty of medical evidence that that is what 99.9% .9 of the people needs. And then you also need to take care of the environment. Because if you think every night is almost like a flight from Miami to London, it's an intercontinental flight. It's no joke. It's, it's a lot of time. And so yeah. you need to make sure that everything is set up properly to maximize that time. So no light, no noise, the right temperature, the right comfort. And at that point, you will live a healthier and more energized life. Amazing. Then my, my last question has to do with eight sleep. What's the significance of eight? Yeah. Yeah. So we believe we can compress the eight hours of sleep, 
right? Through technology, we can improve your sleep performance. We can improve your sleep efficiency. And probably you will be able to get the same amount of rest and recovery in just six hours instead than eight. And that mm. in a lifetime turns out to be a lot. I always tell people that uh, it's amazing that most people, although they know they're going to sleep a third of their life, uh, which I believe is about 26 years on average, uh, 26 <laughs> years of sleep, most people go to bed at night and they wake up more tired than they went to sleep. So beyond sleep efficiency, uh, the restorative nature of sleep that most people don't put their mind, body, and soul into a position to recover and access. Uh, and because I have a couple extra minutes here, um, what is your philosophy or understanding about how the subconscious and unconscious mind absorbs information while we sleep? So beyond the restorative nature physically, which obviously has to do with the sleep cycles and maximizing the efficiency of sleep, what is your philosophy or understanding of the information or the data that's downloaded to us when our egos and our conscious is out of the way? And if we put ourselves into the right position to recover, but also access, I think I've said about three times, Blaine, what is your philosophy or understanding of what we do while we sleep as far as information? Yeah, there are two phases that are really key while you're asleep, deep sleep and REM, right? The deep sleep is when your physical body is recovering, while instead of REM is when your mental part, you know, your, your brain is actually recovering and restoring and reorganizing all the information co collected during the day. So it's when you really develop your memory. Um, and so you need to make sure that you have enough time for both these two phases. Obviously, sleep happens in 90-minute cycles. So every 90 minutes, you have the light sleep, the deep and REM, and this keeps repeating multiple times for as long as you sleep. Amazing, Matteo. Thank Fascinating. you so much. It's uh, an area that I can spend all day and night uh, concerning myself <laughs> and focusing in on. <laughs> Look, I'm going to sleep on this. This is good. <laughs> I'm going to sleep on it. Eightsleep.com. Uh, if you want to change your life significant, quantifiably, uh, make sure you're utilizing the best of the best when it comes to your sleep. My grandfather, Matteo, told me you only need three things in life to be happy. You need an occupation that you love. You spend a third of your life in an occupation uh, and a uh, third of your life spent happy and loving. Uh, find one intimate partner in your life that can be liaison between you and everyone else. You spend a third of your life with your family and friends and uh, having an intimate partner uh, to help guide you through that liaison. And then he said, and most importantly, find the best bed you can find. Sleep is a third of your life. If you're not sleeping well, if you have all three of those, you'll live a happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy life. And you certainly are helping others with the same and have raised a ton of money. So people are behind this and utilizing our peak energy levels every single day. Check out eightsleep.com. Matteo, thanks for joining us here on Office Hours. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Great, great having you on this show, Matteo. That was, that was great stuff. That was really I good. I, yeah. I, I'm telling you, this is the modern hey. day Napoleon Hill show. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, Guys, tune in. Keep coming back. This is good. Oh, they are, as you know, and I know. Um, so uh, hopefully I didn't pull my mic out there. Um, oh, you're good. Anyway, we you're got good. a couple minutes uh, waiting for our next guest and would love, you know, maybe we could have a little bit of a share on a takeaway. We did the uh, Unstoppable Gala and we had the incredible Sarah McLaughlin. We had the Phelan's honored and uh, 
to me, it's and incredible. Huh? It, it, incredible. Thank you. In a virtual world, uh, you know, Proctor Gallagher and, and Sandy Gallagher honoring Bob Proctor to me was very significant and would love for you to share. We, you know, they matched up to a million dollars, by the way. So if anyone wants to give to Unstoppable, please reach out to us at uf.org. Uh, because the Proctor Gallagher Institute is is matching up to a million dollars and we're almost there. So I'll make that plea first. But Bob Proctor had a significant impact on both of us, on our yes. charity, on Sandy Gallagher, on your wife, Cynthia Kersey, the founder. Um, what was your biggest takeaway in all the interaction that you had with Bob? What What one golden nugget would you like to share that Bob has shared with you? Oh, boy. Yeah, and all the years that I was with him, uh, I, yeah, I, I, Bob was probably the single most curious number. You know, there's two pieces. One of the single most curious people I've ever met. He was a fa he was fascinated by the human condition and what was possible, and that curiosity just I mean it kept him you know, it kept him young. I mean, it really did. It kept him young. He was always looking for new ways to present things, new ways to you know, kind of codify and, and, and say something different in a way that people kind of go, you know, I've heard you say that before, but I've never heard you say that in that way before. So that curiosity. Um, and, uh, and, and I think the other part of it is just how disciplined he was. You know, Bob was incredibly disciplined. And I say disciplined not from a... Uh, uh, I have to do this, but disciplined in relationship to what he said was important to him. But for the sake of what do I do what I do in my life? For the sake of what am I on this planet? Yeah, he he disciplined himself. He studied every day. I mean, it was not an exaggeration when he was talking about, I've read and carried Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich with me. And he had this tattered <laughs> rubber band holding it together book. Uh, he studied that every day. And I know for a fact that that was true, you know, with him. He was disciplined in that. And it was that discipline that carried him through. Um, so for me, I think one of the biggest things that he taught me in the, in the, in the number, you know, in the years that I uh, was honored to be with him and, and to work with him uh, was, the, was the distinction of study. Don't just read, study, study. And I've taken that to heart. I mean, I'll, I'll take a, uh, a passage out of a book and we'll spend six months just reading that chapter. I mean, I just finished, uh, you know, Cynthia and I both just finished uh, Wallace Waddles, uh, Think and Grow Rich for, I can't remember how many times I've done this. But Bob, before he passed, I was with him in December. He said, Blaine, I want you to go read four chapters in that. I said, Bob, I've already read it. He said, no, I want you to go study this. I want you to go study this again. And so he gave me four chapters to look at. And I spent from December until, I mean, this week, those four chapters, that's all I was reading. That's, that was my study work in, in my morning routine. That's and, and it was fascinating what I uncovered in doing that. Yeah. It's so interesting because that's one of the things I took away from Bob. Uh, you know, I study Thinking Grow Rich every day. I study The Course in Miracles every day, but I came up with the concept of being a student of your calendar because most mm. people do what you said, right? They read something, they look at it. Most people don't, ma uh, they, they, they don't manage time and they don't maximize their time, which is a valuable resource. 
because they don't study time. And I study my now. And the best way to study my now is to realize what activities I have planned, don't have planned in my sleep, activities I get paid for and don't get paid for of my now by studying my calendar and having calendar captains and making a, a, a true non-negotiable of that. We have Rajiv here. We will bring him in. Matt uh, is slow on the draw. We're making him wait. Uh, thank you for your patience, Rajiv. How are you? I'm doing great. No problem at all. Happy to be here. Yes, Good to have you here, my friend. Blaine has taught me we don't we don't talk about problems. The biggest misuse of time is between problems and solutions. So we yes. talk about solutions. And as the co-founder and CEO of Pubmatic, and your entrepreneurial journey is fascinating um, to me. Um, and I really, through what you're doing at Pubmatic, understand how we create profit. And I talk about market market makers and margins. Um, and the margins are an ever-changing landscape with tech and interest rates. And, you know, looking at what you are doing, how has tech, we'll start there, really created uh, an interesting variable in creating profits in the, in the market and in the margins that are created from that market? Well, I think the, you know, great thing about tech is the scalability and the efficiency uh, that you can generate through a you know highly leveraged tech platform, um, and that's exactly what we've done at Pubmatic. We built a technology platform that powers advertising for content creators around the world. I think it's really important because advertising is the primary business model on the internet, and so the the revenues that we generate for our content creator customers are money that they can put back into creating new content and distributing that content. You know that all of us as consumers love. Uh, and the way to do that and the right way, of course, on the Internet is you need to use data, you need to use infrastructure for processing, and you need to do it in a very uh, scalable and automated fashion so that we can keep on innovating. Right. The Internet is always changing. You know, we just think about the pandemic experience that everybody just went through. You know, the devices that you use today look pretty different than the devices uh, you know, that we probably were using just prior to the pandemic. The things that we're doing on the Internet, you know banking, seeing a doctor, buying a car, right? Those are all things that probably we thought we would not be doing, you know, pre-pandemic on the internet. Um, so I think automation uh, and scalability plays a key role in, you know, how do we serve billions of consumers around the world and thousands of different content creators? You know, yeah, I, I was fascinated when I was reading uh, the, the notes prep, uh, preparatory to, uh, you know, sitting down with you here. Uh, taking a company public, in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and yeah, I know you can't talk about, you know, you know SEC guidelines and whatnot, you can't talk about uh, current uh, performance of the company, but I'm just curious, what was your experience in going through the uh, IPO process in the midst of a pandemic? And, you know, I'm, I'm asking this question, uh, for, for the entrepreneurs, you know, that yeah. are listening to the show, I mean, th this is not an easy road to begin with, but it, it can be done even in the most adverse of conditions, if you're well, really paying attention to some very specific things. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, uh, David, to your earlier question, the experience I think was frankly a little bit easier, uh, because of the efficiency and technology use in the pandemic. So I'm here in my home office in Menlo Park. Uh, and we turned this basically into a studio, uh, and I did the roadshow from here. 
right? And so, you know, my CFO was sitting at his home and, you know, he's in San Francisco. Uh, and so we're both on Zoom and we would pitch, you know, investors, you know, and, and the roadshow is a, it's a pretty grueling process of, you know, basically like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day, every 45 minutes, you have a new investor meeting and it's a, you know, six, seven day process. Um, and they're just all kind of back to back to back. And pre-pandemic, the way that would work is you would fly around New York, Boston, Kansas City, and you would drive to one meeting, you'd pitch, and then you'd hustle down the elevator into an SUV onto the next one. And then, you know, at the end of the night, you're exhausted and you'd be sleeping in a hotel room. You know, here you can do all of that straight from home. Um, and so the efficiency, I think, was was uh, pretty amazing. Uh, there's a little bit of feedback there. Yeah. Well, you want to mute yours and see if it's you? Oh, yeah, perfect. Okay, that's better. Thanks, Blaine. So, uh, Blaine, so just so you know, Rajiv, Blaine has so much energy that usually when he gets around <laughs> anything electronic, you get like weird feedback, lights go out, the internet. <laughs> He's canceled the entire internet in Seattle one day. I like uh, it. So when you're that connected, uh, yeah. he, he's kind of like a Buddha. So I just, I have to deal with it every one of <laughs> Um, Perfect. So, chanting uh, that gets me away here. <laughs> so, so the nice, nice thing during the pandemic is, you know, you could do all of those meetings, but then you had a couple of hours to keep running the business uh, in the evening, and then you could sleep in your own bed. And one, you know, pandemic IPO funny story I have to tell you is, I have two kids, and so uh, they're both kind of sitting in the in the family room doing school from home. Right. This is still in 2020 when when we went public. Uh, and so I think like the third day of the, uh, of the roadshow, the virtual roadshow in, you know, on a little break, my fifth grader walked into the room, into the office. And he said, he said, dad, Pomatic sounds pretty exciting. Uh, do you think I could buy some shares in the IPO? Uh, and so I said, you know what, son, don't worry. I got you covered. You, you, you'll do fine. So, uh, but anyways, I, you know, I guess he heard the pitch, you know, through the door about 50 times and, and decided it was, it's the stock to buy. I got a couple different questions for you. And trust me, the SEC will not mind either of these questions. So uh, number one, did you did you go to Stanford? I did not. I went to Johns Hopkins. Uh, I, I, I could tell because guys who raise money from Stanford don't have to go to don't have to go to Kansas City, New York, everywhere. <laughs> uh, when you go to Stanford, you just stay right there and sit in Hill Road and they just stroke you checks. So that's right. That's uh, right. I, I knew you didn't go. I knew you didn't go to Stanford by the cities when you were talking about the old fashioned <laughs> roadshow. Uh, I always say that's what I love about the virtual world. I feel like I went to Stanford. I can actually just stay in my closet, raise a hundred million dollars sitting in my own closet. Now I know what it felt like to go to Stanford. Um, but more importantly, <laughs> um, the, another fascinating thing because I, I think you know this is really one of the biggest entrepreneurial shows uh, we have it on bloomberg as well um and apple tv and it's the first late night entrepreneur show this is the precept to that the, the digital side of it and i like to ask questions that i think people really need to know more than just look there's no doubt pubmax a great company check it out public information everywhere on it but i always find this fascinating you uh, founded both your companies with your brother. That's right. And there's nothing more stressful. I think building a house and and, and building a company are, are the two biggest causes of divorce. Yeah. Um, and that's not just divorce between wife and husband or or intimate partner and intimate partner, but brothers and brothers 
uh, it, it causes some really big problems. I'm and Blaine are, are both, you know, pretty uh, well-known coaches and we've had brother to brother business problems that, uh, that ex extend beyond for you. How have you been able to keep that relationship um, that carries a lot of baggage, carries yeah. a lot of competitive mindset, uh, working with our brothers in what can be some of the most stressful situations of a lifetime. And, you, and you've done it twice. Well, so our, in our first startup, we were uh, both here in Silicon Valley um, and we were kind of fresh out of college. You know, every once in a while, a business argument would turn into a heated discussion about, you know, when you were eight, you did this to me. And <laughs> yeah, you, did you, you did that, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's exactly what you're getting at. Now, in our, in our second company in Pubmatic, we had the benefit of distance. So he had moved to India and was overseeing a lot of the, the development uh, organization. And so India just so happens to be, it's basically 12 and a half hours time zone difference. Yeah. So the beauty of a call between the US and India is both people are annoyed at the time zone, right? It's either dinner time for one person and breakfast time for the other or vice versa. So you can only argue for so long, you know, before you kind of just lose the energy <laughs> to do that. Uh, and so it, it forces you to be, you know, very focused in your communication, very uh, solution oriented as opposed to problem oriented uh, and, you know, and just efficient. Um, and so that that's worked well. Now he's he's moved back to the U.S. I don't know what it was, five, six years ago, something like that. And, you know, lives in the same uh, same town as, as I do. But I think the benefit of that distance, you know, has um, has lasted uh, over over the years. <laughs> That's great. And, and it's also true of the you know, primary relationship. Oh, we're having a little technology difficulty. I apologize. Hey, log in, log out, Blaine, real quick. Matt, can you do that? Um, Rajiv, um, Pumatic.com. Now, the pressures right now in building in the importance of building a profit generating business is the last question that that i have before we get to ahmad um profit is an interesting creature when it comes to companies you know for you where do you place it on the priority uh chart as far as being profitable and generating profit compared to being perspective in your value yeah, look, we've always focused on having a balanced business, which is both revenue growth and profitability. We've never really subscribed to the notion that, you know, you got to you got to lose money and, you know, grow at, at crazy growth rates and you can't make money doing it. And just as a data point around that, this last quarter, Q1 of 2022, that was our 12th straight quarter of positive gap net income. And our 24th consecutive quarter, so six years of positive adjusted EBITDA. So, you know, it's something that we've been, been doing for a long time. And I think when you're capital efficient, uh, you, um, you think about problems in a different way. You know, so for instance, our engineers, I think they think a lot about, okay, I've got to scale up to more and more volumes. I mean, we process over 300 billion ads on a daily basis, uh, but they know that to get to the next hundred billion, we're not just going to deploy a third more capital. It's that mm -hmm. we got to make the software more efficient, right? We got to go look at the code and we got to figure out, okay, you know, where is the time being spent on the CPU? How much memory is being used? How can we re-architect software to, you know, to be more efficient? And when you take that approach, you know, and you can put a couple of engineers on that, the, at our scale, the payoff is massive, right? So you have, you know, a couple of engineers focused on making some component more efficient, 
versus, oh, I've got to spend now five or $10 million more of CapEx. Uh, so I think it really starts with having a mindset that says, you know what, we can do both and we're going to find solutions that meet both growth and profitability uh, metrics that, that we want to achieve. I love it. Rajiv, Goel, thank you so much. Great lessons today, especially the interpersonal ones. We appreciate you illuminating those for us and being uh, completely transparent with us. Pubmatic.com, great company, great leadership. Check them out. Come join us again, Rajiv. You're an incredible entrepreneur and uh, best of luck with you and your brother. Thank you, guys. Thanks, David. Thanks, Blaine. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rajiv. Sorry I had to drop off. Glad to see you again. We got him back. We got you back. Got him back. Sound okay? Yeah, it sounds great. Just in time for our cleanup hitter of an extraordinary day. <laughs> Always amazing me. I just have to, Blaine, take one second to give my appreciation to my team because you've been doing hundreds of these with me. It's turned into a TV show on Bloomberg and, and Apple. It was on Amazon. And you see the quality of guests, not just on TV show, which is easy to get the Deepaks and Sadgurus and Tillman Fertitas and Dan Aykroyd's, Brett Favre's of the world. But to get people uh, here every day um, of this caliber is extraordinary. And, of course, our cleanup hitter never lets us down. Ahmad is here. Uh, Hassan, he is the co-founder and CEO of Retina AI. And um, this is, you know, once again, utilizing AI for predictive behaviors and innovation that creates uh, a better way of optimizing uh, our own organizations and our own life. And uh, Ahmad, you know, I'm going to start at a higher level. I'm going to zoom out a, a little bit and talk about um, a customer's lifetime value. And I deal in sports, and obviously gambling comes to mind in fantasy because, you know, even my and gaming, you know, yeah, and gaming, yeah. gaming, incredible. They they want to buy my podcast not because it's a good podcast, because of my data. They, they, they want all those people in that demographic and the lifetime value of uh, listeners of our podcasts uh, has an extreme value. How does your predictive solution help with understanding the customer intelligence side of maintaining a customer? And does it apply to employees as well with employee retention? Uh, uh, interesting question. That? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, David and Blaine. Really appreciate you guys uh, having me today. Uh, and yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I'll give you a little background on like how I stumbled on this problem and what it means for a lot of the companies. So my background, I'm an engineer at heart. I started off my career building autopilots for helicopters and satellites and then moved into this tech world where I ended up working for PayPal and Facebook. And one of the big things I got to see were two interesting problems. At PayPal, I built these products for merchant analytics where I could analyze pay, any merchant and their health of the merchant based on customer behavior. And then at Facebook, I got a chance to run marketing analytics and I saw this really interesting problem where for any given business, notice that about 30 to 50% of their customer base is lifetime unprofitable, which means like, Companies are paying a lot of money to acquire customers, but a large chunk of those customers are either having a poor experience with the product and never coming back, or were the wrong target to begin with and were like, hey, we don't really like this product. We don't want to buy it again. And that's a pretty big problem for the last several hundred years. It's been okay because you don't really get to measure our customers' behavior. And then 
obviously the last couple of decades, this problem of not being able to see which customer is really coming back to my business is going away as we digitize the businesses and really start to see customer behavior. Now, obviously, as you, the industries you mentioned are ones that have been noted, uh, have been looking at this for a long time, gambling, gaming, even grocery stores. Think about you, do, you go to a grocery store at the end of the checkout, you'll put in your lo loyalty card number. And with that, they know how often you really come back, right? Uh, so there's this whole concept of customer level profitability that is now emerging. And it was really cool to kind of hear your question to Rajiv prior about how, how do you think about profitability? It ties in really well because companies today still think about aggregate level profitability, not customer level profitability. And if you go down to managing customer level profitability, not only is it good for the business, it's good for the customer because you make sure that the right customer is getting the right product. And that's what some of the technology that we've built enables uh, any company to understand any customer's lifetime value as they're walking in the door. So imagine you're a Starbucks and for the first time I show up at Starbucks, being able to know if I'm a $5 cup of coffee or a $30,000 customer over the course of my lifetime could be really important. You know, that, yeah, that, I, I, the granularity of that, I, I, I'm fascinated with this, Imad, because one of the ways that I'm talking about you know, the coaching and do with uh, clients that I'm working with right now, how do people feel about themselves when they're in the presence of your product or your service? Right. How do they feel about themselves? And right. I mean, being able to quantify that is an interesting uh, problem. Yeah, that yeah. When I because when I broach that subject to them, they go, "Well, yeah. How, how will I know how they feel?" That's right. I think what uh, Retina is uh, is actually you, addressing. Absolutely here. right. And then there's this relationship between a brand and 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 the and the customer that is today kind of unquantifiable. And if you mm -hmm. could quantify it, the steps you can do to like make sure you're reaching the right segments and not reaching the wrong segments and finding lookalikes of your highest value segments. Is a, opens up a whole um, array of looking at the business in a different way that I get very excited about. And, you know, to that end, what really excites me as well is, you know, there's two things in life that I see just in human, human interaction. And I'm always trying to apply platforms, technologies, methodologies to stuff instead of trying to take stuff and apply it to the methodology or platform whether it's one web 1020 or 30 or AI. And because you'll get completely screwed up if you reverse engineer it the other way. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. what I see uh, in line with, you know, it's no doubt how Blaine and I think in similar things, he just thinks faster than I do, is uh, the caring and accountability factor. Um, so when Blaine talks about, you know, how do people feel when they utilize or are in front of, you know, my product, service, or solution, it's really about what do people care about? How do they participate in your product solution or service? And what are they learning from it? Um, and then are they accountable for the participation um, and the lesson? Because uh, accountability is more yeah. than a, what did I do to attract this? It's what am I doing to participate or care in it? And what lessons do I learn? And accountability and caring for me seem to very much... Uh, intertwine with one another in personal and professional capacity because people buy on emotion for logical reasons. And if we can figure out the logical reasons that people are emotional, 
we can have an extraordinary success in marketing sales and solutions. Well, well I think there's a, there's a, there's depth to, to what you just said because one of the things that you know we we think about, especially like if you're marketing and sales, you think about, hey, look, I mean, maybe there's a way I can get my customer to come back and have them buy the second time or the third time, and over and over again when we do these lifetime value calculations, we find a huge correlation, not between the marketing and sales spend, but just the product. There's something called product market fit. If you have good product, your product is generally the biggest driver of retention, not, mm -hmm. not the marketing and sales that goes along with that. If you have a good yeah, like product, my shirt, my exactly. shirt is so yeah, comfortable, sure. man. That's right. Travis yeah. Matthew has won me over for life. <laughs> now, what? What? Yeah, what, you, you, you keep touching yourself, David. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the thing that jumps out at me, is what's where there is a role for product and marketing to play and uh, certainly an important one is getting the right product in front of the right customer to begin with. Obviously, you and I know we see so many ads in the world today that are super irrelevant and we all hate the creepy ads when like you've like just like, hey, I've thought about some topic and all of a sudden I see the ad for that and not relevant to me, super uh, creepy. Like those things I think need to go away and more, more importantly, like things that give us more of a good emotional response and are relevant to us in our lives at the right time, being shown to us at the right time, make, make it probably a lot more relevant. So being able to use this like lifetime value technology to get that, solve that problem is another interesting opportunity that I, that I get yeah. to see. See, there, 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 there's a distinction that I think is useful to be made here and you're, and you're addressing this, Imad. It's, there's, the, there's a difference between how do I feel which is one thing, but how do I feel about myself mm -hmm. when I'm in the presence of this product or service? And yeah. that's an identification. There's an identity piece that kind of comes into play with that, that I think when we're looking at lifetime customer value, uh, that, that how do I feel about myself? If I, if I identify with the product, yeah, I am going to be coming back over and over and over to that. That's so, yeah, and, you know, with with the algorithm that you've got with this, how, how do you actually, you know, without giving away trade secrets here, but how do you get yeah. to the point where you're getting to that place of I, yeah, identity fit? Exactly. I'll, I'll tell you, there's some some things that are actually fairly straightforward and simple to understand. Although there's like complex algorithms behind this, mm -hmm. but the simplest understanding is you look at a business, you have historical data about a business that, and you can very quickly look at which customers came back for a second, third, fourth time and are continuing to come back or keeping their subscription on and which customers became one and done. It's very clear by just looking at the transactional history. You don't need a lot of data. You just need what date did the customer buy, what's their customer ID and how much did they pay, right? That, that data can easily be forecasted out. But then what you do is you layer on top and metadata about understanding of what type of product was bought how did they come into the funnel did they use a discount or not if so how deep was a discount were they referred by somebody did you did they buy a gift a bunch of characteristics that are all very useful to know about the first transaction that customer has has a lot of correlation to what their lifetime journey might be so being able to understand those correlative behaviors and as people are walking in the door and saying Hey, you know, this person's buying a gift, probably buying it one and done and never going to come back because they're never even going to experience the product. Very different than a customer that is walking in the door, Googling for something that they really need. And then they, you, you've seen hundreds of those customers before and you're like, all right, I've, I know exactly what journey this customer is walking down. 
and I know it's going to be a good fit for them. And you might even give a discount or like promote them buying that thing a little bit faster. Yeah, I find it interesting. I know I've read some of your blogs. You speak. You're an advisor to a lot of startups as well. But you know, also just your you know understanding of nature as you're in it like me, an outdoor adventurist. But what's so interesting is Blaine and I share, uh, we love to study history. And what I'm finding parallels in AI and history is that AI allows us to take a different look into history of consumers or biometrics or whatever it is, because within the context of studying history, human nature is apparent and human nature never changes. And that's where we can create the markets, the margins and the market makers in business through Retina AI, for example, it's a history maker, but also gives you great analytical ability to go ahead and see how human nature is relative to that history. Um, how has the outside, as a last question, uh, how has the outside influence of being a blogger, speaker, advisor, outdoor adventurist, you know, this understanding of human nature applied yeah. to the history that's created by AI? Yeah, good question. And it's, it's a little bit more. And, and you know, another aspect of my life is I'm a dad of two as well. And nice. Thinking about that. I got that. you by two times, buddy. I got four. <laughs> four. That's amazing. I, I, you have to teach me how that, how, how you, how you live with sanity in that world because <laughs> even two sometimes feels like a lot. Go to um, BlaineBartlett.com. That's all I'm saying yeah. right there. <laughs> Sounds good. But yeah, I think there, there's a couple of things that are very important. So in today's world, I think AI is one of those technologies or tools that will have a profound impact on our lives in both positive and negative ways and being able to make sure that we are using it in very narrow approaches of like what problem we're looking to solve and even putting guard guardrails around it. Uh, we've seen, you know, I've, I've worked at Facebook and I've seen things like Cambridge Analytica happen. I've I've seen um, issues where privacy data breaches result in massive damage to folks. So being able to put a lot of guardrails around it is really important. Uh, so at Retina, for example, we have these like four core values that our data teams must adhere to that are related to data, which is you'll never see us in the political arena or the health, uh, you know, health space where calculating some of these values can be used for detrimental purposes if you don't use it for the right thing. We think on the marketing side, we can use it in a way that's very privacy-centric and useful. But obviously, there are places where it could be used that we should just like shy away from. We're like, we know what the importance of AI being used in the right way is important, and keeping it away from the wrong hands is so very important. So we think about the ethics of it quite a bit as the crux of it. And that's what the outside perspective gives me, that making sure that we're not just running wild with the, with, with, with the technology. I love it, my friend. Ahmad Hassan, please join us again. We'll talk about the ins and outs. We didn't even get into one of my favorite topics of being able to feed those people in our business that feed us and go ahead and allow the people that bleed us to fall away with 30 to 50% of all customers that people have are unprofitable. And learning that is very important as well. Check them out, retina.ai. We'll have, we'll have you back. Thanks, Ahmad, for all of the insight that you give us and check him out as well. He writes a great blog. And Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank That's you, buddy. Great Take having care. you on the show. Thanks. For Good luck for those kids. <laughs> All right, Blaine, takeaway of the day. We got four for four in here. Four for four. Um, takeaway. The takeaway, I think, is 
Okay, this is coming out of left field. But uh, in, in part, it, it's just uh, with all four of them, as entrepreneurial as all four of these guests were today, just being willing to show up, being willing oh. to show up, noticing yeah, uh, you know, what's, what, what's kind of missing here? What can I do? Marissa was a great example of that. Yeah, there's something I can do here. So I just showed up and I have to be in the game. All four of our guests today were in the game, stayed in the game, were interested in the game, and they've made some huge differences as a consequence of that. So I think, you know, just my willingness to show up and play, I'm going to take that away. My willingness to show up and play. Yeah, my football coach in college would always say, because I was a very emotional player, and I had to learn to stay at the majesty. You, you, you were an emotional player? Yeah. And uh, he would say, just keep playing, Dave. Just, I, I, I know you scored to quit celebrating, or I know you got beat, quit crying. Just keep playing. Uh, but for me, my takeaway is simplicity um, and what an impact we can have by keeping it simple. And, you know, Marissa, who saw a simple problem and found a simple solution, yeah although it was big. I love Matteo because he addresses one of the simple problems and found a simple solution, meaning that, look, people are not rested when they wake up. It's a third of their life. Uh, Obviously, in Rajiv's case, too, as well as his entrepreneurial journey of the tech, rising interest rates, profit. Like this profit, right? We, We need to be profitable as a business. So Pubmatic allows us uh, to keep our controls in place. And then Ahmad, Obviously, the simplicity of why do people spend so much on money and time on customers uh, that bleed us, that aren't profitable? And uh, so these are just simple problems and uh, the misuse of time that exists between simple problems and simple solutions are just a matter of the interference of our own complexities and our own insecurities. And thank you, Mr. Bartlett, BlameBartlett.com, for helping me clear the interference between me and the simple solutions that exist in my life to help me make more money, help more people and have more fun. Or like I say, realize the potential I have of happiness, health, wealthiness, and worthiness, deciding and declaring what I'm doing to interfere with it. And there's no doubt why gentlemen like Bob Proctor, who I honor today, uh, and we honor at unstoppable uf.org, uf.org, get us over the million dollar mark as the Gallagher Proctor Institute is uh, matching us Blaine Bartlett, thank you so much. I'll see you very soon. Very soon, my friend. Take care. Have a great training tomorrow morning. 9, 7.30, right? 7.30. Uh, 7 a.m., I think. 7 a.m. Pacific. 7 a.m. Pacific. Pacific. If, you're not, if you're not in his coaching program, guys, get yourself registered. Get in there. It's good stuff. It. Thank you, Blaine. You bet. Awesome. The Mindset Mastermind, my mentor, and many others that are leading the world. He, he mentors the mentors. And uh, that's what I love about Blaine. Remember, David at themelser.com. If you're not registered for free training at 7 a.m. Pacific time, over 65,000 people are registered. Join the group. We're a bunch of uh, sponsors and power sponsors, a great community trying to be kind to our future self and do good deeds. Remember, be more interested in than interesting here on Office Hours. Thank you, Matt. We did the noontime version. I like it. We got Mr. Bartlett wide awake and me too out of the spaceship. Take care, everyone. Be kind. I'll see you next week.